This is the Well, Well, Well podcast with Cassandra and Britt, episode 89, Seeking Solitude with Kelly Healthman. Kelly Healthman is the president of the fashion group at Magic and mother of two beautiful children, Davy and Gray. She is on today sharing about her passion for all the aspects of her life, but really diving into her spiritual journey. Can't wait for you to hit minute 21 when we talk all about solitude. Well, 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 welcome to season two of the podcast. We can't think of anything better than conversations with our friends about all the wellness. Let's chat about what the gurus are saying and enjoy a bev while we're at it. We aren't experts, but we are your friends and we are here with you. We are so glad you joined us. Okay, we have Kelly Helfman today on the show. So happy to have you, Kelly. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I love you. I'm so excited. Well, listen, this is kind of a first, guys, because Cassandra is not with us. I mean, I'm missing her, but I'm kind of obsessed with your solo debut. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yeah, Cassandra is not feeling well. She just really was fighting a cold and took some DayQuil and thought she was going to swing it around and it just hit so hard. And she sounds, you know, when somebody sounds like they have a cold. Yeah. So we're kind of sparing all of you because there's nothing worse than sounding congested. (laughs) And if there's anybody that would let her slide, it's me. So (laughs) lucky for her, it was my day today. Yes, exactly. So Kelly is a longtime friend, somebody that's been in my life for a long time. We have kids that are friends. We live in the same community. And we have had a lot of overlap, which has been really fun. You know, when you have different groups of friends, your school mom friends and your girls trip friends and the ones you knew from college and all these different things. It's really lucky because Kelly and I have overlap in several different groups. And so if it's a birthday or if there's some gathering very often, we get to double dip on each other and get a little extra time. (laughs) Yeah. And it's always like, Hey, which group gift are you going in on? Should we do it with this crew or that group for her? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's so good. No, I love it. I love seeing you. Yes. So it's fun because we've been talking about having Kelly on the show since the beginning. She's such an obvious person. First of all, she's brilliant and extremely accomplished, which I'll let her tell you a little bit about herself in a second here. But also she has just been such a stellar example as she's kind of gone through her own life's journeys and grown and changed and progressed over the years, just like we all hope to, right? But I've gotten a front row seat on a lot of that. And so I'm just really happy for you to share with us today, Cal. Thank you. Gosh, thanks. That's so sweet of you. How long have you guys been doing this podcast now? It's been like a few years. Yes. I don't know. I need to think about it. I think it's maybe been four years. Yeah. Wow. Three I'm years, so, something like that. It's great. So proud. So uh, Cal, tell us a little about yourself, both professionally and personally. Oh, that's a big one. Well, first of all, thank you for that beautiful intro. And it's always awkward to try to tell people about yourself. Um, But let me give it a shot. So I am born and raised in Cali. And I actually went to high school where Britain, I and Cassandra live. So moved back to my hometown when I got married and had kids. And my ex goes to the same church. So I was lucky enough to meet a wonderful group of women through him and his family. And I have now an 11 year old boy and a 14, almost 14 year old girl. Gosh, I hate that. I round up like, why am I trying to rush it? (laughs) And my family lives out here because I went to high school out here. So I'm very lucky to have everybody close by. 
kind of fun story about him and I, we were high school sweethearts and we are interfaith marriage. So I grew up Jewish. He grew up Mormon. So that's always a really unique journey that we were on with our kids and ourselves. Um, and something I love to share with people because a lot of folks go through that and have challenges there. When I was 24 years old, I got a job in fashion with the largest fashion trade show in the United States. It's called Magic. So those of you who might know the fashion industry, have a boutique, a friend who owns a boutique or an online store, or a friend who has a brand or you own a brand, you definitely know fashion trade shows. So it's where all of the designers who have collections take booths at the show to show their collection to the buyers from stores. So the attendees are buyers from small boutiques, specialty chains, online stores, department stores like Nordstrom's, Macy's, Dillard's, Kohl's, Target. And I do 14 shows a year in all categories like men's, women's, fast fashion, women's contemporary accessories, footwear, apparel, some during New York Fashion Week, Miami Swim Week. Um, the main shows are in Las Vegas. And I started this job when I was 24 years old. I'm 41 now. Um, I was a customer service rep and I would call the brand. So like Steve Madden and Freed People, I would call them and ask them for their contract and for them to pay their bill for their booth space. And it was such a cool job and I loved it. And I was talking to all these big people. I was super impressed and just, I was a fashionista from the beginning. I had a clothing line before that. My mom owned a vintage clothing store and I was pretty good at it. And I started selling. So they're like, you're really, you got the gift of gab. Why don't you try to sell in some new designers into booths? And sure enough, it really was my thing. Um, I could sell anybody. I would sell men's suits brands, like traditional suits. We call them the Garmento guys. I would sell them into the show. Um, they would give me all different categories. And I worked my way up. I became the you know show director, then the VP of sales. And eventually um, in 2020, I became the president of the entire fashion group for my parent company. So I oversee all of our 14 shows, um, everybody from sales, marketing, operations. So I have about 111 employees now, actually. And it's a pretty big job. Um, we've been acquired three times. So my company is publicly traded on the UK Stock Exchange. So we have shareholders. And that's a little tricky, too, because you're working for a company that is publicly traded. And you really also want to do what's best for the fashion community industry. So there's a lot of strategy planning, three-year planning, P&Ls. I mean, now I'm just talking crazy, but for those of you who like that sort of stuff, it's kind of like dirty talk to me. Oh my gosh. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, that like kind of got me choked up for a minute there because I've seen you through so much of that journey and you really have just worked so hard and you just so deserve, you so deserve the position that you have now there. I I've seen you do it. I've seen the sacrifices you've made. I've seen the, the, uh, stick to and the overcoming obstacles and the highs and lows. And that isn't just, I mean, it sounds in a, in a paragraph like that, like, oh yeah, I just had the job and I worked my way up, but look, that's hard fought. And it's is partly your God-given gifts and the things that you happen to be good at, but it's also a lot of perseverance and a lot of balancing. And, you know, I just, really commend you for all that you've done. And you're just kicking, kicking booty out there, Kel. Booty. I love it. Yeah. You know, it's rare that people could say they've been with the same company for 17 years and work their way up. And so often I 
mentor um, girls that are in college and like, what are the tips and tricks? And I think it's just takes a lot of patience, a lot of humility, learning, um, exceeding expectations. You know, there was times when you girls would invite me to like mama's lunches on a Tuesday and I'd have total FOMO because I'd have to work. And those were the sacrifices I did have to make. But at the end of the day, this career drives me in a way that I can't even explain. Like, not that your career should ever become your identity, but it's my purpose and my passion. And I, I love it. So I've tried to balance out that mom life and being able to take care of myself and be with my friends and do the things I love while also maintaining this very, you know, uh, high career that takes a lot of energy and a lot of brain power that I have to be ready for. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. It, it, demands basically everywhere you turn, right? Like anywhere in your life, there's demands on you and you've, you've taken it and exceeded expectations. So that, that really is so awesome and impressive. And I think, I think what you mentioned earlier, I kind of want to um, segue into that a little bit. You mentioned earlier that with your ex, you guys were of different faiths and I know that your upbringing and really your culture brought a lot of religion and like those, if not actual showing up at a church building, more like the principles that were instilled in you and the things you were taught and just like God in general. And you've kept yourself really open to receiving all different nuances of that message in your friendships and in your relationships and in your family and all of those things. But I'm curious about that. Like, how has your spiritual well-being evolved over the years? Gosh, it's such a great question. Yeah, I was, you know, born and raised Jewish. We were very um, liberal reformed Jews, meaning like we weren't conservative or orthodox. My grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. So it was very important to her that we continued our faith and, you know, just what our people went through was insane. So I went to Hebrew school. I hated it. Okay. Esther kicked me out one time. Um, it was a real thing. I'm like a Hebrew school dropout basically, but I got homeschooled and had my bat mitzvah. And I feel like I, it never really resonated with me, the Torah part of it, um, and the Testament part of it. And I would kind of just be messing around and listening to the words, but not really retain it or understand it. Just do it for my family. But I will tell you, I always had Judaism in my heart. Like I felt the spirituality and the tradition. And I felt like people always say, you're Jewish, I-S-H. Like I am like, or I'm a lots and bagel Jew. I'm not like a real Jew. I'm like that type of Jew. It's funny because I always felt that. Like I, I couldn't tell you all of our stories or the background of our people, but I felt it. Like I loved the traditions. I loved how my family made me feel. and what we went through in the Holocaust. And I knew that that resonated with me. But after my bat mitzvah, we really never went back to temple. So my that was one of my parents' biggest regret. Like they wish they kept taking us on high holidays because when you're older, you start getting and appreciating it. Your bat mitzvah when you're 10, or I'm sorry, 12, 13 boy. And like, you don't really know what's going on. Right. So fast forward, I'm not religious at all. I'm Jew-ish. You know, I marry Mormon um, and we kind of just say, we're going to raise our kids to have faith in God and be spiritual. And we agree on that. And I always had this very strong 
intuition. I would actually call it my jujitsu. You've probably heard me say that a lot where I almost felt like I was psychic, but it, it really was just my intuition and my gut and my connection with a higher power. But I never identified it up until like 2019. And I'll never forget this. Our friend Kim took me to Gabby Bernstein's book tour. I'm like, who's this girl? She's like, I have a ticket. Let's go. She doesn't talk like that, by the way. I'm making her friend Jessica right now from the Nanny. Um, and she was like, you have to see her. She's amazing. Um, I'm like, I'm in, whatever. I'm saying yes to everything. 2019 was a hard year for me. I was kind of just going through personal stuff. And I went. And as Gabby is doing this book tour, it was for Super Attractor, my favorite book on earth, please get it. And I'll take your affiliate link. No, I'm joking. Um, it's so amazing. What she's saying is resonating with me. It was like, finally, the first time I had heard somebody describe spirituality with me that actually resonated with me and how she was talking about it. It wasn't like, and Moses walked the path and this was that. I was like, I never really got that. But how she was saying, like, your intuition, your connection, like, your feeling, your gut, you know, how you attract really great positivity and good things because what you're putting out there and my whole life, my career, my everything, my friendships, that was my game. I was always like trying to be the cheerleader and trying to get us all together and miss positive and humble and all these things. And I felt like that's why I received goodness throughout my life. And it yeah. finally stuck. And after that, it was over. I was on a spiritual wellness mindful journey that changed my life. So it's now been almost four years and I've really created like this new normal for myself on how, and I take it everywhere. I take it in my personal life and my work life. I share it with my, like for my 111 employees for Christmas and Hanukkah, I gifted them all like calm, you know, I'm trying to give it to them and give it to the world. And it just took one person to kind of explain it in a way that I got it. Yeah, the higher power and it could be the universe. It doesn't have to be Jesus or God or yeah. Messiah, like whatever. It just became like sense. really personalized for you. Like it clicked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so with that, I mean, right on the heels of that, your career really took off. 2020 was right around the corner for that. So That's obviously right. like some of what you were learning, you were able to kind of amplify and, and yet 2020 was a crazy year and with so much going on that we don't even need to get into all of that, but like people's lives took drastic turns and this is the turn yours took and you became president of the fashion group and you were already traveling, but now you were traveling way more and for longer periods of time, different countries, you know, it was really accelerating. So how were you able to maintain this newfound spiritual lifestyle while traveling? Yeah. So I travel like 30% of the year for my job and 2020, when you're a live events company that brings together thousands of people and you can't have events anymore. And now you're laying off half your staff and you have to be the cheerleader for morale. And you're really a therapist for a year when you can't have live events, when people are feeling so sad and fearful that they're going to lose their jobs because we're laying off folks. Like it was, I had to go into survival mode and figure out what was going to work for me to be able to not only carry myself through the hardest pandemic, but carry my family and my staff and company who just was being hit so hard. Um, and so 
you know, a lot of people, they go to self-medication, right? And not that I didn't do that too, but you could self-medicate and just numb the pain. And I decided to really focus on my wellness journey. And what that meant for me was going into the books, um, taking wellness trips, like Arizona was still open. And I decided to dedicate time to travel to Arizona, even though I had to wear a mask for four days by myself to really sit in my own brain and mind and soul and get through those moments. So then I can carry on for my family and my company. And so I did multiple wellness retreats, some of the bougie ones you've heard of, some of non-bougie ones. I would go alone. So I really could do it. I would try journaling and all the things, meditation, yoga, um, and a lot of classes that helped me deal with the stress and gave me techniques and tools. I obviously did therapy. I'm a big advocate of therapy. So it's like when you're going through crisis, you need a team of a team, a sport team. And I had a healer. I had a therapist. I went to these wellness retreats. I got the membership to calm. I was on Gabby Bernstein's membership, you know, and between all those things, it helped me survive the hardest time, learn the tools and be able to really give that to the world and try to carry my family and friends and staff. Wow. So tell me like what advice, like what's one thing, or it doesn't have to be one, I guess, but like, what are the main things that you would tell a woman who is busy in her life and needs, needs an anchor needs to feel a little more spiritually grounded, but she's busy and she's working and she's momming and all the things like, what would you tell them? Did you hear my deep breath? This is, this was the hardest lesson learned because I was that for so many years. And this is, you know, I'm in my forties and we are products of burnout culture where this newer generation isn't, which is great because they have a lot more tools and they're more mindful and they really want an easier life. They'd rather take less money to have a better quality of life. But, you know, us gals were born in the eighties, seventies. It's like, you know, be the doctor, be the this. And, and it was burnout. And it's like, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you got to make your entire life service to your children and your family. And gosh, guys, if I could have told myself five years ago, don't burn yourself out. So the biggest thing is having discipline and not making the excuses. We could all forever have a million excuses of why we can't show up for ourselves. But it's, if you don't put the oxygen mask, oxygen mask on yourself, then you're not going to be able to show up for your kids, your family, or your company. So my biggest advice is when you're super busy, you have to have downtime. You have to be able to say no and set boundaries. That's first and foremost. It is hard, but that means telling your family that mom's taking a nap. Nap is self-care, okay? If, if only it's an hour nap on a Sunday and you can get that in, you have to be able to take time for yourself and be able to say no and tell them why. So I think it's, you're also setting an example for your family of, listen, mom also needs to have downtime and alone time. And I want to avoid, you know, I want to be there for you. And the way for me to show up is that I also have some rest time. So that's okay. Um, for working, I block out on my calendar sections of time. Otherwise my assistant would book me, you know, eight hours straight in Zoom meetings and I would never be able to get emails done or have a moment to meditate or eat lunch, which is so unhealthy or even get a drink of water. I've had those days. Um, and so now I tell him it's a non-negotiable. If I put a block on my calendar, that's my time. The only person who gets to take away that block is me or my boss. Um, but anybody else who requests that time, it's an absolute no. So I block out mornings for yoga to take my kids to school so I can then be more productive and available and in a better mood throughout the day for what I do have when I have meetings. So I block out time. 
I do say no a lot to things now. I used to, as you know, Brit, have like a million plans. I've had to scale down my friend groups, my plans. That was hard for me as a people pleaser in a Virgo, but I have worked so hard. I feel like a huge weight lifted off that I don't overbook myself anymore. And I have less accountability to less people. So that takes work, but you have to be able to to do it or else you're going to just get stuck in the cycle on the hamster wheel, burn yourself out. And then you're going to fast forward, blink your eyes. And it's going to be, you're going to be 65 and being like, I wasted my whole life on what I wasn't even present. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I think what you're pointing at is that you need some time. You kind of need some time alone. You need to like make that a priority, but I think there are going to be people who that's uncomfortable. That's why they book it is because they don't even know how to be alone. They don't even know what they think about things. They don't know what they should be doing with that time. And so I think what you were saying before is like, so go on whatever journey you need to go on to figure out what resonates with your soul so that when you block time, you know what that time's for, right? I, I, you're exactly right. Being alone feels selfish to people, which is so sad. We've been guilted by so society and so many folks that like, if you take time out that like you're leaving your kids again, Kelly, you're going to the Rose Bowl swap me thrifting. Like that's my happy place. That's my me time. We've been told that. And you have to really reverse that mentality. But the craziest thing I will share with you and everybody who's listening is through my separation, I've done a ton of work on myself, just how to be in solitude. Loneliness is really hard when you're going through a divorce, like when you don't have your kids or anything. And this is not for somebody who's just even going, this is just for anybody who feels guilty about being alone and making that time for themselves. Being alone and being in solitude are two totally different things. Being in solitude is a beautiful thing. And what comes up in solitude for you, you learn about yourself and you discover if you never have time in solitude, then you really lose sense of yourself and who you are and what's important to you. So we have to get away from being lonely and overbooking to I need time in solitude to discover myself, to come back to what I love, who I am, reset, refresh all the things. Beautifully said. I think it's, it, this kind of goes beyond like I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert, or I recharge my batteries by being alone or by being with people that is separate from the fact that no matter what category you fall in there, everybody needs what you just said. Yeah. work. Yeah. Solitude is work. Everybody needs the solitude. That's right. It's self-discovery. It's, it's so healthy for you. And that's how you learn about yourself. Don't, it's so easy to lose sense of who you are, what you love, your passions, what you believe in. If you don't take time to be in solitude. A hundred percent. And, and if we find ourselves filling every spare minute we have with, if it's not people and things, it's listening to stuff like always in podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Input then we really lose sense of that. And the only way to discover it is to free up some time. That's right. And then here you are just freeing up more and more and more time because you're getting more and more and more comfortable with that solitude, with the with yourself, with being in your own space and knowing who you are and knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And so I just think it all seems way more intentional and purposeful than ever before. And it's really, um, you can get busier and busier as your career grows, or, you know, you get more opportunity or whatever it might be and fill your time. It's the prioritization 
of the, this is like my business. I, what's the ROI on what you're saying yes to right now? Like what's your return on investment from this in your soul or whatever it is, you have to really prioritize things. And so I think to myself, I I think to myself all the time, like I got to prioritize because I can't say yes to everything. And what's really going to give me the most, the best ROI for myself right now. Is it taking this call or is it going on a walk with this person? It's actually probably going on a walk with this person because X, Y, Z, you know? And so you just have to do that, whether it's work or your personal life. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think often enough we're thinking about the ROI of spirituality or, you know, one oneness and wholeness and aloneness and all of the, that, the solitude. So that's huge. I love that. So how do you explain this to your children? Like what advice do you give to your children? How do you involve them in this? I love that. So I have one kid who's super connected and spiritual. That's Davy. Um, she is just like an old soul. She has always had a strong connection to God and has been interested in this. So it's easier to talk to her and have these conversations. And we often, um, are talking about how to balance. She needs a lot of downtime. So that's a beautiful thing to have a child who wants to discuss it and wants those tips and tricks from you and so forth. Then my son, you know, he's 11. And if I tell him like, take some time off your phone or, you know, it's really important that you can do X, Y, like he doesn't want to hear it. Right. And the best way you do with those kids that aren't as interested or you don't want to lecture is just showing by example. And all we can hope is that one day they look and go, gosh, like my mom used to like really do an incredible job to be, even though she had this really big career and responsibility and traveled, I felt like she was so present when she was with us or she used to take naps on Sunday and that was her reset. And that's okay. She would tell us she was taking the nap because she needed that downtime. So she didn't um, overextend herself. So I often give them a, probably a little bit too much context for why I do what I do, or they just know now that mom goes to yoga every Saturday and Sunday in Malibu, take some time to stop at the beach, say a prayer for herself and come back. And that's, they don't know any different. And I show them that I'm, that's my me time. Hey, you guys want to come? You can come to the beach with me today. You can, you know, whatever, but I'm really just trying to lead by example and show them and explain to them why I do what I do and give them the context. Um, and you know, they, cool. they too have so many examples and influences in their life that could be negative. And so you have to offset that by giving them the opposite view and showing them. Yeah. Yeah. You're really, you're explaining what works for you, giving them tools that, that work for you and they can maybe at some point try those things too. They're, yeah, and, you know, like, let's just, I, I, I don't have time to cook. Right. So that's one of the things that I've let go. And I had a lot of guilt about that. Like, I'm not going to be able to cook and clean the dishes and all that. And that's an hour and a half out of my time. I'd rather have that time with my friend or my kids or in solitude. So I've explained to my kids, which they don't even know any different by the way, but I've explained to my kids, like, I realize that I'm not that mom who cooks, but I want to tell you why. And then yeah. it's showing them how I take care of myself through wellness, or I want to put that time into them and it's just giving yep. them the context. Yep. I love that. So if you, I mean, this is great advice that you're and I think what you're saying with your kids that reign supreme is just the example is really the best thing you can do. And the communication, um, I think that's just epic and a really important aspect of 
of our relationships, honestly, with our children to not just kind of moving forward from generation to generation where we're more communicative. It's not just this is the way it is and I'm the mom and I say so. It's like, let me explain. It's a little bit more on their level. It's meeting them where they are, like all of that. I, I love that that is the way you're handling things. But if you could like go back in time and talk to 25-year-old Kelly, what what advice would you give her? What would you say to her with what you know now? I would say to, it's not about working harder. It's about working smarter. Mm. So being more efficient with your time, more prioritization. Um, It's not about how long you work or how hard or how much you do or rate, you know, it's really about the productivity and the efficiency and the prioritization. Like the the most successful people don't grind themselves 12 hours a day and barely get any sleep and burn themselves out. Like they get a healthy nine hours. They make sure they get their workout in. they probably only work five hours a day, but those five hours are so productive. They hire people who fill their gaps. They know that they don't have it all and they can't do it all. Like being humble and vulnerable is so sexy in the workplace, in your personal life. And there's a lot of egos in my industry and in fashion or in the executive world. And I think if I told myself, then you don't have to prove yourself in all these burnout ways like that, the hustle culture, like, and listen, I was the one posting five years ago, like hustle, babe and boss, babe, you know, and all those things. And not that I don't think that any, like, I love that. But at the end of the day, I'm not telling the world to hustle and burn out to be successful. Like when I career coach, I'm like, no, you need to like, be efficient with your time, prioritize and make sure that you don't burn out and be vulnerable enough to say, you know what, this isn't serving my best interest. So I did that for so many years. I was an overachiever in every aspect of my life, not just work. I wanted to be the bestest friend, this, that, and it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable for your mental health, your physical health, anything. So being more conscious of that now. And I think that comes with age. Listen, like we, we just live and we learn. Um, and that's been so amazing. And that's something I want to share all the time with people. And I share with my kids, like, listen, it's okay. If you get a B, okay. It's okay. Don't stay up another eight hours, suffer. You're in the, you know, you barely got sleep the next morning and you're just like having a meltdown. Like it's okay. If you don't know some answers of B, I'm not saying that I encourage bad grades, but I encourage you to take care of your mental health as much as you take care of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like I've heard a lot lately of kind of this idea of for so long, we'll say things to people like, as long as it's your best, as long as you did your best, as long as that's your best work. And really the truth is, is that we shouldn't be doing our best work on everything. We should really reserve our best work for a few things. What's going to get us ROI on our, per, on exactly. our, ourselves. the rest of the time, we should just be doing so, so work to get us by. Like, it's not important that you become a chef in your home and a house cleaner. Like it, that is just not where you need to place your focus of excelling. It's okay. You know, like we say things all the time at work, like it's better to make an bad decision or a so-so decision than no decision at all. Yes, It's better to fail fast. Like you are not going to be perfect at everything. And so it's really being okay. And that that's where the prioritization comes in. And so 
I think that that's where folks get wrong is stop trying to be, do everything, like pick and choose and do those things well and take care of yourself so you can show up to do those things well. Yeah. And honestly, Kel, I think that the, the spiritual anchor that I was saying before allows you the, the emotional and mental freedom to make that decision, to be like that. I'm not defined by my hustle. And because I have this like awareness of this space of who I am and what I like my value aside from all my achievements, then you're, then you allow yourself to right to kind of lean into that. And I think that like those two things kind of go hand in hand, like the more you the more depth and the more you're willing to like gain that spiritual awareness, the easier it will be for you to prioritize the right things and let other things go. That's right. I mean, five years ago, companies weren't ever talking about mental health awareness or giving wellness programs or incentives or talking about this. I mean, it actually would be looked at as a weakness, if anything. This has been such a new thing that has come up in major companies, giving incentives to take care of yourself, um, wellness day off, all these things. And it's really beautiful that this is becoming the norm. And they're saying, we want you to do this so you feel better about work. And I think the newer generation is really looking for those perks, the company. And if they don't, if they don't have those ethos, they won't even work for you at this point. Totally. And like to hear somebody in your position with your credibility and expertise say, I do yoga every morning and I take my kids to school. And it like, you don't have to pretend that that's not true or lie about it. Or do you know what I mean? Like, that's like, oh, so it's okay. It, it, it makes me think too, like, we know this happens in other countries where people are allowed to have a life outside of their job. And I hope we're moving more in that direction because you should be able to be a mom and have a major career for a company. Yes. So my whole thing is like, if you can't take the call from the car and drop off your kids, we have a problem. Yeah. And I think that I do have a progressive mentality, but that's very important for me because I think a lot of companies are old school and they're very far behind, but you should be able to support, you know, women in their motherhood and they should be able to have a career. And that's the flexibility that we have to have and the efficiencies and so forth. Yes. Yes. That shouldn't be something that we feel like we have to like lie about and hide and pretend it mm-hmm. choose, you know? That's right. So yeah. Okay. Well, Kel, that has just really been so enlightening and just wonderful to talk to you yeah. here about your journey. I'm so proud of you and just love you. And thank you for being here today. Thank you. I love you too. Thank you for having me and letting me share all that. Yes. Wait, before, before we let you go though, I didn't even ask you what you're drinking today. Oh my I mean, I, have you what? heard me sipping on it the entire time? I am what this person. <laughs> you ready for it? I'm yeah. a Starbucks addict. My name is Kelly Helfman and I am a Starbucks addict. <laughs> I'm on a venti ice skinny vanilla latte quad, two pumps of sugar-free vanilla. I mean, they hate me. Okay. They hate me. I've given all my money to them and I've been trying to get off of it and there's my vice, everybody. <laughs> I am an addict to Starbucks. Listen, how can they hate you? You know, you're paying like $12 for that cup, probably. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's so obnoxious. I love it. Okay, well, wonderful, Bev. Glad to talk to you. Have a great day, everybody, and be well. <laughs>